And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Excited to be joined today by Jason Rogers, who's the CEO of Inveri. We're going to talk today about his startup journey, what his company does in the security space, and a lot more. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Well, Jason, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So I, th- I think I saw in the notes here, you're from Lawrence, Kansas, home of the Rock Chalk Jayhawk you Go know, K- K- KU basketball, world famous KU basketball. And um, I've been there a few times. So you're just like, I don't know, 45 minutes from where I live. So uh, it's always good to have people on the show from from Kansas. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're actually uh, working from the KU Innovation Park, which is here on West Campus. Uh, okay. So it's great to be sort of uh, at the university as well and, and have that energy around you. Yeah, I bet. So... I guess to start out, you know, you're the CEO of Inveri, and but you're you're technical, right? You're a software engineer, That's right? Right. Yep. I uh, uh, came out of school with a CS degree. Um, did a lot of work at Cerner and, and Perceptive Software in my early career. Okay. Uh, across the spectrum of languages, um, found my way to a company in Lawrence that got acquired by Motorola, and got a chance to do lots of things, and that's sort of where product sales marketing the rest of it sort of started to uh, to come into my life and to get some okay. experience on all those things and then I uh, kind of continued on and, and led large technical organizations but also managed a lot of the, the business aspects uh, in an IOT uh, solution that we created for for Lowe's and then again at Matterport um, before I did in various so yeah I'm one of those folks that made that transition from pure engineer to uh, management so to speak so as you progressed in your career in engineering, did you work as a director of software development, CTO, VP of engineering, or or did you work more on the product side? Or where, how did that career path go for you? I'm kind of curious. For sure. Yeah. I grew up in the engineering ranks. So yeah, I went up through a uh, director of software engineering, um, CTO uh, of a group uh, that created an IoT solution for Lowe's that I mentioned, uh, and then a, a VP of engineering again at, at Matterport. Um, but again, in, in those solutions, I was... Uh, the benefit of sort of being allowed uh, to uh, be a marketer, be a salesperson, uh, all those things. So I, I got a chance to sort of experience running a business unit um, on top of being an engineer in those roles. And you've been in those roles before too. You know, they, they're not just pure technical all the time. You're speaking with customers, yeah, uh, et cetera. So if you're, you're good, if you're that. good at those roles, you know, and it depends on the, on the company and their industry and, and all that sort of stuff as well. So, would you say that, um, from your perspective, a, a lot of developers want to make that make that transition and go through that? And I think 
for a lot of developers, we start out and, and we want to write a lot of code. And it feels like the way we get better at our job is by making the code more complicated. <laughs> we, we think we're architecting more and more beautifully complicated things. But at some point in time, it the, the light bulb goes off and that kind of changes, right? You know, you're like, you know what? The code doesn't even matter as much anymore. I'm more focused on like building a product and the best product possible. And I kind of come to the conclusion that all the code is dispensable and the code doesn't even matter that much anymore. Like, but it, it, it I feel like it takes a transition somewhere in your career. Yeah, it's, it's a blend. You know, it is about outcomes. And I think for me, it was interacting with the customers. I remember the first time I got a thank you note from a customer. I worked at Cerner um, and really, you know, that journey and understanding what they're doing and what they're going through, which I think made me a, a better engineer. And so it's not about showing off to my engineer friends how sophisticated I could be. Uh, it was about making sure I achieved those outcomes and those goals, uh, you know, for, for those customers. And I think there's a blend though, too. I don't like the sort of binary sort of, it's either pure uh, art um, or it's yeah. just for the result, right? There's always a, a blend and context matters a lot. Um, but yeah, if you keep your eyes focused on, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And that's both in the now and and in some parts in the future. I think I remember seeing a blog post that you put out not too long ago, which is no over-engineer for the future, um, for sure, especially as a startup. And we can get into that. Um, but I do think that, you know, in some of my roles, you know, at, at the IoT service, we had more IoT events in a day than Twitter does tweets. You have to prepare for that. We had 11 months to build a team in the product. Wow. And so, you know, we can't just say, oh, well, we're only going to have, you know, a few at the start and then we'll ramp up. So it depends on the situation. So, but the best engineers I've ever seen really understand the business and, and what they're trying to do along with the technical aspect. Yeah. It, and that's my point, right? It takes both. It's like, it's not all about just the code. And yeah, um, I think especially now, you know, you, you have your own company and I think you also eventually come to appreciate that learning how to sell the product, talking to customers, the go-to-market strategy and all of that is also a lot more important than building the product itself, right? Like you can build a product, but if you have no idea how to sell it or who's going to buy it, it's like solve, solving the go-to-market part of it is also just as hard or harder from my perspective than building the, the, you know, the app itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I remember the first time I, I tried to sell software, we created a new home networking solution at Motorola and uh, flew over to Europe to sell it to a telecom over there. And I had no idea about those things that you just mentioned, right? And so, uh, you know, the feedback I got from the executives at the telecom was that it's a great technical solution you need better marketing. And they said it very gently, but I was just telling them sort of what it did as opposed to how it's going to help them. Um, so I think those kinds of journeys sort of help a lot. And it, yeah, you can bring that understanding. You know, you bring both the tactics and the strategy, um, understanding back into your, your technical organization or your own code um, makes it so much better. Well, so tell us a little more about Inveri and, and what you're doing there these days. For sure. Yeah, we are uh, zero trust for operating systems. Um, so we allow our customers to determine the runtime integrity of their operating system. Uh, and we detect threats um, to the operating system that other threat detection solutions miss, can't find. Uh, so it turns out malware like rootkits um, not only hide themselves, but they hide other activity from the rest of the security ecosystem. So if I'm managing a large server fleet at Matterport or, or one of my other jobs or um, you know anywhere else, I usually have uh, a chasm solution or CNAP, a SIM, one of these security acronyms that just means aggregating a bunch of information from these systems into a single place to make decisions about. 
but that information is only as good as what the systems are telling you. Uh, so if these systems are compromised, they're lying to you, you can't trust anything in your security stack. Um, so we find that malware and we restore confidence on our customers' um, uh, stack. And we kind of see ourselves as a foundation of security for any organization. Um, the, the origins for Inveri are also super interesting um, and, and kind of speak to um, how you meet and interact with people over time and, and how things kind of come to fruition too. Yeah. So how did it, how did it start? I, I read here in the notes that it can't, you know, it's based on some intellectual property that, that you didn't create, right? Did you license some other intellectual property? Like I'm interested about that part of the story too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how it got started is uh, one of our founders, Dr. Perry Alexander here at the university of Kansas has been doing research and trusted computing for uh, a couple of decades now. Um, and he works with the NSA, DARPA, folks like that in this space. And the NSA had um, commissioned him to do some research, uh, which they turned into intellectual property, which was the foundation of our company. Uh, so the NSA has this IP that they came back and said, would you all like to form a company um, around this? Uh, we feel like it's the betterment of society to, to get that technology out there um, to the world. And, and they also have a mission in economic development and, and encouraging startups. Um, so Dr. Alexandra, who I've known for a long time, uh, his wife has worked for me uh, and several of those uh, uh, companies that I mentioned earlier uh, approached me and, and asked me if I was interested. And uh, our CTO, uh, Dr. Wes Peck, has also worked for me for a long time, but did his dissertation under Dr. Alexander in this space. Um, so it's a nice sort of synergy of, of knowing people for a long time, but having uh, that knowledge base in both operational experience of these large platforms with these problems and sort of the research behind it um, with the backing and the knowledge that comes from uh, folks like the NSA. It's super interesting. So the, so the deal you worked out with them, how, do, how does it end up benefiting them? Do they get like a percentage of the company or percentage of revenue or how do you like license that patent from, from, from KU? Sure. Now, it's actually licensed from the NSA. Uh, and so they have a tech transfer office like universities usually do. And it, it works pretty similar. I actually encourage folks they have a bunch of tech to license. That's super interesting. Um, so we started out with a non-exclusive license. And so uh, it's just a simple fee, essentially. Uh, so we just paid them a yearly fee, uh, okay. a, fairly, a fairly small sum. And as we got going, we decided we want an exclusive license. And so there's a, a royalty attached to it now uh, to okay. our sales uh, and, and a fee in exchange for any uh, exit that we might have. Uh, so okay. a small fee. But they're not really in it to make money on the NSA side. They're in it to really kind of help foster this technology uh, for the betterment of all at the end of the day. So it's a, a great relationship, I think, because they're not trying to fleece you, I guess you could say. Um, you know, they, they obviously want benefit from what they've invented, but they're more interested in, in your success. So tell me a little more about how Inveri works. So I know you're talking about securing the operating system, but is, so is, is that done by, you know, how, how the operating system is installed or like, how, tell me a little more about like how it actually works. Sure. In the simplest form, uh, you know, about secure trusted boot. So when a system comes up, <clears throat> we can validate that. Uh, the files, the binaries, or, or what they were, what they were supposed to be um, when they were put on that machine. Um, we do that plus a bunch of extra stuff at runtime. So essentially what we do is we look at the built code for operating systems and we understand the data structures and the interactions of what it should look like when it runs. It's a huge graph of millions of nodes, essentially, of behavior. And then at runtime, uh, we sample all that information, collect another graph of about a million nodes, uh, and we compare them. And so we're able to find alterations to the operating system that 
essentially the developers of the operating system didn't intend. Okay. So a simple example, I might have a rootkit that um, intercepts a call to list files in a directory and I might decide, hey, I don't, I want that to go to my function first and I'm not going to tell you about five files in the directory. We'll pick up the fact that, that now that call is going someplace else, the structure of that call has changed, the size of it's changed. Um, lots of, of interactions like that, but it's about um, understanding behavior. And another way we usually talk about it is uh, the night sky is huge and complex, but it has invariance, right? So I know what the Big Dipper looks like. I know where it should be. Uh, and if I look up at the night sky and it's not there or it looks different, I know something's gone horribly wrong. It's the same principle. Uh, you know, these software at runtime has uh, a complex set of relationships to data, functions, things. Mm -hmm. But if you understand them, you can determine uh, that its behavior is outside of the norm and something bad is happening, which allows you to sort of track the threat at that point. So, so for your guys' business, who is your target customer that you're trying to sell to? Um, so out of the gate, um, we're selling to uh, large technology SaaS companies. They have uh, a large amount of servers. They have aggregated data. They're uh, a constant uh, attack vector uh, for attackers because of that data. Okay. Um, so that's one. Uh, we get a lot of interest from universities, health systems, and you can imagine why as well. They have um, very important information and they're also under attack a lot. Um, we spoke at a conference with the FBI a couple months ago um, and the FBI was talking about the nature and prevalence of these threats and showed a map. Um, they're everywhere. And people would assume that you know some sort of complex attack maybe only hits certain people. Um, but it hits everybody, um, whether it's a state actor or organized crime group or, or an individual, um, they're using these tools and, and they're everywhere. So uh, while that's our target market, you know, working within uh, the federal government uh, market as well, we want to make sure this gets out to anybody who needs it at the end of the day. So for your guys' solution, does it work with somebody that's using AWS and Azure and stuff like that? Or how does that Im impact with what you're doing? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it works on both physical and virtual environments. So Amazon, Google, Azure, um, Linux focused right now. Um, so Debian, Ubuntu, AWS Linux, Red Hat, CentOS, uh, we're adding new distributions every day, all the most recent uh, kernel versions and and releases of those distributions. Okay. Um, and we, we're automating that. So every night we're picking up new distributions, new kernels, and making sure that, that they work. And for our customers, when they use a solution, it just works. They just have to run our agent um, and they get an immediate result, essentially. So there's so, no warming time. So is your software deployed as a monitoring agent? It is, yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, so my last, I, I don't know if you know this, but the last company I started did server monitoring. So um, we are very familiar with a lot of server monitoring kind of stuff. But for sure. Um, you know, so do you think, do you see a opportunity to eventually partner with, you know, one of the cloud companies to make this like sort of another sort of virus scanning, you know, security sort of component that, that goes into the base of what they do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's a spectrum of those two. So we'll take, you know, your company before or, or somebody like Datadog um, who offer, you know, maybe solutions at the higher level. What operating systems are you running sort of inventory along with the, the nature of the SIM that they have? Um, an integration with them, partnership with them makes a lot of sense because we're augmenting, you know, what they're doing. We're not an XDR system. You know, we're not doing what CrowdStrike and, and, and Defender are doing. Uh, we're making sure what they're doing is right at the end of the day. So I think that, that 
that um, allows for a lot of partnership opportunities for sure. So how was the sales of this? Is a very long, complicated enterprise sale or how was, how was that part of it? Yeah, so we're super new. Um, first, uh, we're just getting ready to finish a pre-seed round. Uh, released our initial service, which is a free service that folks can try in Vary.com uh, called Rise. Um, and then our paid service launches uh, this summer. Um, but, you know, early conversations with customers uh, obviously depends on the customer. But, uh, you know, if I'm selling into a large enterprise um, like Home Depot, I think that's a fairly long sales cycle. And they have their budgets and their processes and their tools. Um, but, uh you know, for certain people in certain states, uh, the sales cycle can be quite small. So, for instance, if, if I'm somebody who's just had a, a ransomware attack, um, we just had this conversation the other day with somebody. Um, and so I'm through that. Uh, a, I want to get better. So I would like your software. And B, I'm actually not sure if the attacker is gone. And that's what we specialize in. Are your operating systems running okay. with integrity? Um, and that's sort of an immediate right now sale um, in, in that sense. So. So how, how else do people solve that problem today of the, like, I don't know if, you know, there's a virus or malware or any kind of issues on my system. How do they, how do they do that today? Do they just burn it to the ground and rebuild it? And that's how they hope to solve it or what do they do? So I, you know, I think it's all over the place. Certainly if you can, a lot of people will burn it and, and reconstitute and the nature, like, you know, in my past jobs, we're running large SaaS platforms. If it was just a instance, it's really easy to nuke it and, and bring up a new one. Um, in the cluster. Um, it would hurt if you had to do that with everything, what well, we could have if, if we had such a breach, which thankfully we didn't. Um, so there is some of that for sure. Uh, you know, there are existing uh, threat detection tools that can tell you something, you know, from their perspective. So uh, companies run that. There's a lot of looking around for suspicious activity, which then becomes time and cost intensive. And then I think last is hope to be honest with you, until we come around, which is kind of why we're here. Let's, re let's remove that sort of assumption and hope and, and let's give you the evidence. Yeah, that, I mean, I could see a lot of value in that because it's, it, you know, it's like if somebody breaks into your house, right, and you show up and you're like, are they still here? Right. <laughs> right? Like, and then you just like live in fear, not knowing, you know. Did they leave a camera on? Is it not gone? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd be like... Uh, Stay in a hotel, right? And you're trying to figure out: Is there hidden cameras in here? Like, how do I, how do I, how do I know for sure there's no hidden cameras? And how do I know good, it has integrity? Yep, that, that's a good analogy, probably for what you do. It's like you know, we we guarantee there's no hidden cameras in the room. That's the good. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna borrow that if that's okay. There you go. Um, that's that's the nugget from the show today. Um, I do want to take a minute to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use the Fullscale platform to find what developers are available today to join your team. Uh, visit fullscale.io to learn more about what Fullscale does. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see how this progresses for you. I, I think it uh, sounds, like, sounds like a great great problem you're trying to solve. And uh, you know the, the hard part about this kind of problem is the big enterprise sales nature of it, right? Like, Especially if like you go, you want to go to Amazon and like get this on every server in the world. It's like it may take you years to get get them to finally come around to that, right? So, right. Uh, um, but it sounds like to you, uh, and this is a good lesson for anybody that's listening. If you can sell something that kind of deals with like fear and risk, you know, those are always good kind of points that people will buy 
based on that, right? They buy based on fear and, and risk. Um, and, yeah, I don't think we want to introduce fear. I, I think more, you're right. Uh, I do think that obviously, like in the example I, I talked about before, there's fear involved. And I look at it as providing comfort or serving those customers. Yeah, right. but it's their fear. Um, like the yeah. problem they have, like you talk about like, you know, back to your earlier comment about, oh, when I'm learning to sell something, I'm, I'm talking about its features. But the benefit to them, the benefit to the customers, they have fear. They have fear. That's what they have, right? And you're trying to solve that fear. And that that is a great thing to sell against is is speaking to their fears, understanding their fears, and that you can comfort them, right? Yep. But, but ultimately, what they have is fear. Yep, absolutely. And then persona, you know, that we take on is sort of parental. I think some, some folks in this industry would take it on as sort of like a cop mentality or you know, like a soldier or a protector, which is uh, sometimes overbearing. And, you know, we're there to help them, to serve them, yeah. uh, to provide that comfort, remove that fear. But you're right. And, you know, the comment about like the long sales cycle, you know, in, in terms of startups, you know, for me, I sort of I stay focused on sort of the short term goals and the market that we can sell into quickly um, and right. walk our financial model. But that doesn't stop me from having those conversations with Amazon and others because I know they take forever. And yeah. I have the benefit of having done that before a few times. And so I understand that process. That's good. Um, but uh, I do think that, you know, you need to, to walk it, you know, as you can. You, it shouldn't just be a wait and pick it up later and hope you can do it fast then. You definitely need to create those relationships, those touch points, uh, those understandings. Um, and to be honest, you know, we, um, I guess we can say, you know, we, we were in the, the Google startup program. They gave us a bunch of credits for GCP. We've had a lot of great help from, from the VD folks at Amazon uh, over time. Um, so they're actually interested in, in helping you too. And that helps you with, you know, the reverse relationship as, as you get done. I've found actually um, more people are interested in helping you than, you know, trying to prevent you from succeeding at the end of the day. So if you take advantage of that, yeah. um, it might help shorten, shorten those, those sales cycles and, and continue to develop those, those relationships. So what is, what does your guys' team look like now? Were you the only founder or you, or you said you had a co-founder that was a doctor or something? Yeah. So there's five team members. Uh, okay. So myself and Dr. Peck. Uh, and then three engineers uh, on the team. Four out of five of us have worked together for over 15 years now oh, wow. um, across those journeys. Um, so uh, bring a lot of experience to the table, um, which I think is good for us. We're at a stage in our career where you know we can operate the business in a way to make it successful. Um, we have a lot of experience, can go really fast, um, uh, which has been super helpful. So you mentioned earlier about potentially raising capital and, and stuff. How is... How has that journey gone so far here in the Midwest, or have you not gotten far enough into it yet? Yeah, well, I mentioned my, we're, I, I won't name names at this point because we're not done, but we're we're nearly done with our pre-seed round uh, led by a, a regional investor. Okay. Um, you know, I, I do think that you know, uh, before this uh, at Matterport, Matterport went from uh, Series D or so in the four years I was there to a SPAC IPO. Um, so I got to see that investment environment um, and then this investment environment. Um, you know, both in terms of the macroeconomic nature, things are definitely a little different now. Um, maybe there's a bit more um, oversight, uh, due diligence that happens, but the interest is still there. Um, and so uh, I, we've been fortunate with our partners and and being able to, um, you know, work the system in a point where, you know, a lot of folks are having trouble raising capital. Uh, right now, I think it's easier for maybe early stage funds as well or, or companies. Um, but, but it's been great in the Midwest, uh, you know, we've, we've talked to investors across the spectrum, you know, West, East coast, Midwest, um, I'd say the Midwest ecosystem is, 
um, super healthy at the moment. Okay. A lot of interest, a lot of different uh, uh, VCs out there, very supportive of the missions, of the environment, of the people in these areas. I don't think that, you know, the five, 10 years ago of location matters is, is that big of a deal anymore. Um, other than the fact that, you know, they're, they're very optimistic about what, what can happen in Kansas City and Lawrence, Kansas and, and places like that. So were you able to actually find an investor that's based in Kansas City? Um, yes. Awesome. Well, very good. Well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I asked just because, you know, it's always part of um, the perspective. It's harder to raise, harder to raise money here. So um, glad that you were able to, to hopefully find the funds and, and get, get the deal closed. May, uh, maybe by the time this airs, we'll, we'll all know and have heard about it by then. But uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, con- congrats on that. So um, do you see yourself staying in Lawrence or do you guys at some point, in, I mean, and working remote or how do you, how do you see that? going forward because i mean in lawrence where you're at there's not not a huge amount of talent there right like that's one of the harder things about where you're at because you're not even in kansas city you're like an hour outside of kansas city sure you, know, you would think that but actually built my career on being able to build teams here in lawrence I, I you know at motorola we had 50 to 60 engineers working for us in town okay uh, i built a team of of 25 uh in that 11 month period to build the it solution here in lawrence uh built the team for matterport here in lawrence of about 20 25. Um, so I do think we want to stay in the region and, 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 you know, grow our business here and our footprint here. That being said, we all know it's a different world. Um, you know, at Matterport, everything was, uh, remote, uh, yeah. after COVID and state is going to stay that way. I think there, um, we're pretty open. Our, our 15 members in, in New Hampshire. Um, so we'll have the bulk of our folks here. We, we have an office at the K innovation park, uh, uh, who sits on our board and a really great organization that helps local startups here in Lawrence. Um, but, um, you know, we're here a couple of days a week when we need to, to meet, and then we're at home. Uh, and I think that's key for, for whatever size your organization and whatever your needs are finding what your employees need, right? Not a mandate to be in one place or have to relocate or move. I think those days are over, right? The talent, the mission alignment, uh, matters, and then you figure the rest out and, and make it so your people can be as effective as possible. So going back to your your journey earlier, f- from being a software engineer to now a CEO. So now as a CEO of the company, do you spend any time writing code? I do, um, uh, not a lot, but with a team of five, uh, it allows me to, which is great. I don't think that'll last much longer, uh, for sure. Um, I always have the mantra of of reading a lot of code. Um, so even the last maybe four or five years, um, didn't have a lot of time to write code with all the other job responsibilities, but always made sure I could read code and see what the teams are doing and be able to interact with them on it. Um, you know, it doesn't do you any good to run a group where you don't understand what's going on. Um, so I always involve myself in the, the most difficult, uh, most important problems, uh, time sensitive issues. Uh, and to do that, you kind of have to stay up to speed. So that's sort of how I, I roll. I do try to write code when I can. Um, it takes a lot of concentration and time, uh, as you know, which is hard when you're jumping in and out. Well, so I, I've had the same struggle for the last 10 years, right? So I've you know been a startup CEO basically for the last 10 years, but also a struggling software engineer at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess that's my question for you is do you, so when you do write code, are you trying to prototype new things and build new proof of concepts of different things? Like what kind of work do you usually find yourself engaging in? 
Um, you know, I feel like my role here, as well as, you know, maybe VP of engineering at Matterport was to fill the gaps if they're needed. You know, you hire people to, to do those roles that are hopefully better engineers than, than you. Uh, your guidance, you know, helps them and what to do and when to do it and, and in some cases how. So here I do the same thing. So for instance, we wrote our own rootkit for education and, and demonstration purposes, and we had to extend that. So I worked on that. Um, we need help on our UI, so I'll jump in and do that. Um, I think it's key maybe to the role to be versatile too. It's like, I'm not just an iOS developer. You know, I can sort of jump into Rust code, um, to Kotlin code on our platform. Um, you know, whatever it is, I can jump in and, and help out. Um, but I stay away from sort of the, the long, more sophisticated problems just because right. again, I don't have the time to focus. Right. Yeah. Well, and I've always felt that when I'm real deep into a project, I struggle to do any kind of management tasks. You know, I want to stay heads down trying to solve the problem. I'm like a dog on a bone. Right. And then everything else gets neglected. Like, you know, I'm not managing the team. I'm not, you know, involved in any kind of planning, even if it's just, even if it's just as like, I'm a CTO, not even a CEO, but just like a manager and engineering leader. Like if I'm trying to be that involved in something in my career, I always struggled big time with writing the code and then being able to step away from it and still do the management tasks. And I feel like that's a really difficult balance. And is that, is that something you struggled with in your career as well? Yeah, it is. And I think maybe when you start that journey too, when you start to take on a responsibility where you, you can't just write code all day, which takes that focus and time and energy. Um, first of all, I think you feel bad. I don't know. Did you feel bad? Like when you, when you first started and you couldn't write as much code, did you feel like an imposter or something? I don't know what the right word is, but you felt like, well, I'm not doing what I used to do. It doesn't feel right to me. Right. You have to give yourself that. You have to tell yourself the things you're doing are for the betterment of your team, for the company, for the product, for your customers. And so you're doing the right thing and it's okay that you're not coding all the time. So I, I went through that for sure. And then also you miss it, I think, most engineers yeah. do. Um, so you got to find ways to sort of feed that appetite um, at the same time. And then over time for me, it just, you know, it made sense. I get enough of that when, you know, something arises that needs my help or whatever, I get to jump in. I like being able to go look at everything too. And so, you know, one of the privileges of a CTO or a VP of engineering is, you know, you can kind of be everywhere. And so I understand what's happening on the platform side and on the agent side and on the front end side. Um, that maybe an individual developer doesn't get. And so that drives me as well. So even though I'm not writing code, I'm at least getting a chance to understand and learn as well, all, you know, new technology all the time. So my teams are helping me stay up on it by showing me what they're doing in those places. Well, I, I, I feel like I got to a point, you know, a few years ago where I kept telling myself, it's like the most valuable thing that I can do is to make everybody else more productive. You know, it's not just about my individual contribution, which is always frustrating because I feel like I could do things a lot faster than other people. But what I really need to do is figure out how do I make everybody else more productive, right? And so I think that was the thing I tried to focus on was was that. And then, you know, then making that shift to being a CEO, it became more about making the whole company productive, right? And And realizing that there was a lot more to do around here than just writing code. Like we got to go sell something and <laughs> we've got customers to deal with. We got, we got you know, problems to solve all over the company that are not just product related. Right. And right. Uh, learning. Do, do you feel like it made you a better CEO? You, cause you were able to then go back to your, your development, your engineers, and you know where they're coming from, but now you have this new perspective and you can kind of help them understand 
what else is going on in the business or, or no, maybe you didn't pick that up. I think it was, so I hired a chief operating officer. His name was Craig Farrell and he was amazing. And really it's like Craig and I kind of divided up the overall company, right? Like he, he oversaw sales and support and I was more involved in engineering and marketing. And, you know, so, you know, I was still more involved in engineering on a day-to-day basis and, and was the CEO and definitely had the company vision, the product vision and all that. But then I relied on Craig to run kind of the day-to-day of some of the other teams. So I was more involved in the engineering and the marketing. Um, and so I think, you know, every company is different, right? And especially when you're a small startup, it's just trying to figure out where do you provide the most value and, and what do you have somebody else focus on and having somebody you trust to run it, right? That's the other part of it too. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I mean, for us, there's a, there's a high trust, I think, environment at Inveri, just again, the length of time we've all spent together. Um, but, you know, just in, in my expanded role as CEO, I feel like going back to them and saying, um, hey, I just talked to this MSSP, they have these problems. And then we, then we have a conversation about what to do or not to do or how to do it. It makes it so much easier. Because yeah. they understand, you know, that outcome and you can reproduce that in any environment, right? It doesn't have to be a startup, but I feel like if you can bring that experience and that knowledge, that insight back to the team, um, everybody just wants to help at the end of the day, I think, and, and, and serve those customers. So I, I think, well, being, you know, being able to have the product vision and understanding all the engineering, all the technical bits, but then be able to spend a lot of time with the customers, right? Then then be able to go back and forth between the engineering team is really viable. It's like you have, you have people skills. <laughs> yeah. Back to the old office space movie. <laughs> I talked, I talked to the customers um, for sure. And you know, I, and also like there might be engineers out there and they might feel like, I don't think I can do that or I don't think I have those skills. And they, some people just love being in code and, and that's great. But I don't like those labels, right? Where, oh, you're an engineer, you can't do that, or you you don't have those skills or whatever. You know, put yourself in those environments and, and learn. Um, you know, be uncomfortable for a while. I think a lot of people can stretch themselves. I, you know, 15 years ago, I never imagined I would be a CEO of a company uh, with what I was doing. Um, but, you know, by putting myself in sort of uncomfortable situation after uncomfortable situation, here I am uh, after a bunch of learning and, and growing as a, as a person too. I think it's also important you just you learn that you don't know what you don't know. And the more you're involved in all these things, you you also understand how things are supposed to be done. It's like even though you're not an expert at everything, like you're not an expert salesperson, you're not an expert at running an operations team or a sales engineering team or all these different things. You worked at different places like Matterport and others where you see how that's supposed to be done. Like you know what good looks like, right? You're like, even though I'm not an expert at all these things, like I'm, I'm understand what, how they should work. And, you know, I understand like that we need to do them and that, that, that they need attention. And and I appreciate the efforts that other people put into these things, even if I'm not an expert at them. Right. And I think that's part of it too, is just understanding how all the different roles of all the different people uh, work and, and appreciating what everybody else does. It's like, we do our little part and we're engineers, but there's all these other pieces. And over time you, you start to at least understand and appreciate how all the rest of the pieces come together, I think. Yep, absolutely. I think for me, I, um, for my very first job as an engineer, I was talking to customers every day and it's like, I was the lead developer and lead support person. 
I flew all over the country. I installed the software. Um, I was like front and center, you know, with the customers. And I think that really changed the whole dynamic, I think, of my career in some some perspective is it made me get out of my shell. And, and I traveled all over the United States, like installing our software and doing all this stuff and talking to customers. Like I got the customer's feedback directly. And then I decided if we were going to do it and I just built it. And half the time I was doing that stuff while I was flying around on an airplane yeah. going between customer installs. So it's like, for me, I think that experience talking to the customers and understanding their problems and being able to architect, you know, solutions to them really is what helped, you know, turn me into more of a product oriented person from just being an, you know, focused on the code and the engineering part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you were, you know, super fortunate to be in that position. I, you know, I, so if you're out there and you're in a position where you're not getting that, find a way, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was asked to, to go travel Europe and sell, you know, these products. Um, never been to Europe, right? Uh, so you get those experiences and it might seem, you know, scary or maybe I can't do it, but go try. You, you get to learn. Um, and, and, you know, there are always ways, wherever you're at, ways to sort of expand your horizons. And, and I think that overall makes you a better, better employee, a better servant to your customers, all those things. So you, did, you, did you say you started your career at Cerner? I did, yes. So I imagine that would, that's probably a lot different where there you're probably hidden in a cubicle all day and never talk to anybody. <laughs> Um, you know, so this was, this was a long time ago. I, I, I thought Cerner was great. I was there for about four years. You know, they have, they had then a reputation, um, maybe earned of, of working people kind of hard. I was probably doing things that maybe a person with that much experience at that age shouldn't have been doing, but, um, gave me a lot of experience. But in, in that, you know, serious problems that they would, have me deal with it would force me like you to interact with the customers. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a serious health related issue. You have to fix it, but I also have to understand what's going on from the users. And so, and then plus, you know, at Cerner, it's, it's great because you're, you know, you're impacting people's health. And so there's a lot of uh, a value in the mission that they have that you can attach yourself to. And I think gives you the extra incentive to go and, and make sure that the folks that are using the product are happy or, or doing what they're that they need to be doing with the software, what problems they have with it, um, those types of things. So, Well, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, and our platform will match you up, uh, we'll match you up with our uh, developers that are available. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Um, well, Thank you so much for, for doing this today. And as we wrap up the show, I'm, I'm curious if you have any other um, wisdom to share out there with maybe other entrepreneurs or other software developers that want to become entrepreneurs. Um, so sure. Um, well, again, thanks for having me and, uh, and giving us a chance to talk about Inveri and, and our products and, and our upcoming launch. I appreciate that. Um, you know, advice, the best advice I can give is a, as a silly story, I tell lots of folks that, that I'm mentoring. Um, there are lots of people out there that would give you lots of opinions. And uh, as a, let's say, as an entrepreneur and startup, you go and you pitch and you get feedback about what you should or shouldn't do for your business. And the story I like to tell people is an, an, an old man, a young boy and a horse travel through four towns. And they start off with the young boy riding the horse and, and the first town. Everybody gets mad because the old man's walking and not the young boy. So they switch. And then the next town, they're mad because the old man's riding and the young boy's walking. So then they both get on the horse 
And then the next town, they're mad because they're making the horse tired. So then they both get off the horse. And then the next town, they're made fun of because nobody's using the horse. And so uh, have a mission, have a passion, understand what you're doing um, and drive towards that. And just understand that you're going to get all this feedback. You should learn from it, take it in. Um, but if you stay focused on your mission and your passion, it, it, you'll find a way to your goal. And usually been my experience in doing that. Awesome. I love it. I love that, uh, that story. I've, I've heard that before uh, a couple of times. I like that a lot. Awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. Again, I appreciate it. Yeah. So everybody, this was Jason Rogers. And again, that's invary.com, I-N-V-A-R-Y.com. And Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>